Step into my library, won't you, and have a seat by the fire. This is Jennifer Passarello from Circa19XX.com and the Circa Sunday Night Podcast. But tonight, we're not in either of those places. We're in the Vintage Century Reading Room, and I have a book to share with you that have been lost in the mists of time. Let's have a little read, shall we? Greetings to you. Have you had a good week? I've had a marvelous week. Each day was a precious gem. You know why? I was on vacation. That's right, no work. (laughs) This was actually a staycation, which is just as good, really, as vacations that require travel. At least in my opinion, they are. Now, I do love travel vacations, too. I have one coming up in a couple of months, actually. I'm going to be heading to my happy place, Florida, in May. Can't wait for that. But you know what? Staycations are great, too. What I love most about staycations, and, well, I guess this is good and bad, it gives me a little taste of retirement, which, I'll be honest with you, has become an all-consuming obsession of mine. (laughs) I am desperate to retire. Sadly, that's still many years away, but I have been working for decades and I am just, oh, I'm just looking forward to the day when I can just walk away and not have to work anymore. But anyway, as I said, that's many years away. And, you know, what a staycation does is it gives me a few days to pretend like I am retired, to establish a new schedule, live a different kind of life, at least just for a little while. But then here comes the bad part. I have to go back to reality. Yeah, that part isn't so great. But then there's always another vacation to look forward to, even if it's just spent at home. Okay, well, now, how about an abrupt change of topic? I have an announcement before we move on. Back in January, I shut down my social media accounts out on Facebook and Instagram. Honestly, I had stopped going out there months before that. I never really enjoyed Facebook or Instagram, but I officially bailed out in January. Holding out of social media is the kiss of death for bloggers and podcasters like me. And I know that. (laughs) But what can I say? I'm living dangerously. So here's what I started doing instead. Quietly, because I didn't know if I was going to be able to you know, keep this up, if I was going to have the discipline required to post on a regular basis. I started writing little daily posts out there on my website, circa19xx.com. And again, I didn't mention it before now because I really, I just didn't want to say, hey, I'm posting out there now and then somebody go out there and there's no posts. So I've been quietly popping on, posting on a regular basis. I've been posting Monday through Friday just to see if I could keep it up. Well, I've been posting out there regularly, Monday through Friday, and so I'm ready now to tell people about it. Now, these are just short little daily posts. If you have any interest in my life, and I can't really think of a reason that you would, (laughs) but if you are so inclined, you can go out there to Circa19XX.com, and if you want to just say hello, let me know that you listen to the podcast, well, I would just love to hear from you. I'm calling my little blog Picks and Days because it's got pictures and it's about my thoughts for the day. 
So I hope you'll come on over and visit. I'll put a link down in the show notes so um, you can check it out. Well, let's see. What's new with me? Well, I just got back to Kansas City from Springfield, Missouri. I hadn't been to my little cottage in Springfield for several weeks, so I just mainly wanted to go and, and check on things, make sure everything was okay. But while I was there, I did some shopping. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but Springfield, Missouri is my favorite place to shop. On this latest trip, I discovered a little thrift store not that far from where I live. And here's the funny thing. I've driven by that thrift store a hundred times, at least. But I never went in there because I just thought it looked kind of junky on the outside. And I'm not really a snob about these things, but it just didn't look like there was anything that they could possibly have inside that would be of interest to me, thing, the kinds of things that I like. So I just sort of ignored it. I drove by it, never gave it much mind. But then one evening while I was there, I was driving by and I didn't have anything else to do. And I thought, well, what the heck? And wow, what a fun surprise. It was awesome. I bought a darling little fringe scarf vest that is going to be so pretty with this summer top that I have. And I've already tried them on and love them. And so that was exciting. Actually, I found several blouses there that were beautiful. I didn't buy anything other than the vest, but um, gosh, I was pretty impressed. But then I also bought this beautiful vintage brass lamp that is one of the prettiest lamps I've seen in quite some time. It's very heavy. It's got this beautiful patina. It kind of looks like it's Art Deco to me, although, you know, I don't know if it really is, but... That's the look that it has, and I just love it. Now, when I went in there, you know, my, my expectations were pretty low, and maybe there's a lesson to be learned there. Maybe it's better to go into these things with low expectations, because then you're so pleasantly surprised every now and then. So anyway, my expectations were pretty low going in, but as soon as I walked in the door, I was I was very pleasantly surprised. Everything was very neat and orderly, was very clean inside, was very bright. It was great. I, I couldn't believe it. I, it just did not match up with what I saw on the outside. So I guess you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, although I always judge a book by its cover. So that's going to be a hard habit to break. Uh, but anyway, I was very excited about this place, and that is going to become one of my regular stops when I'm in Springfield. So anyway, that was kind of fun. All right, well, speaking of treasures, should we turn to our book now? Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, welcome. Come on in. I've got the fire going. You know, it is March, so I it's still cold, but I don't know how much longer I'm going to have fires going. So I guess we have to enjoy this while it lasts, but it's still cold enough for a fire here in Kansas City. So come on in, have a seat, make yourself comfortable. We're reading a book together that I found in an old bookshop several years ago entitled Take a Look at Yourself by John Homer uh, John Homer Miller. Now, this book was written in 1943 in wartime, and it's essentially providing advice about how to walk with Jesus and get your life together. I started reading this book as part of some personal goals that I had set for myself this year. And I thought, you know what? Maybe some of my listeners may find it interesting too. So here we are. Tonight we're on chapter 11 and chapter 11 is 
all about how to be decisive. How good are you at making decisions? This is actually an area that, you know, I guess I do pretty well, honestly. I, I'm impulsive. I am quick to act and decide on a path. I don't really mull over decisions very long. Now, there's a price to that approach. <laughs> Sometimes my decisions have been terrible, but the point is I do decide. But what about you? Do you tend to overthink things? Do you find yourself stalled because you can't seem to choose a path? Well, if so, I think this is going to be a helpful chapter. Okay, well, without further ado, let's begin. Chapter 11, How to Be Decisive Decision is so important that three-fourths of your life is determined by your ability to make up your mind, by your capacity to meet and adjust yourself to new situations. Decision must precede every action. It determines not only what you do, but how and when you do it. Your present thinking and attitude toward life has been determined by a long chain of previous decisions. Your capacity for making decisions may strengthen or weaken every other quality in your character. Now, some people, due either to temperament or to wrong habits of thinking, spend whole days trying to decide what they're going to do, and usually they end by doing nothing. Mary Lyon, at the age of 16, kept house for her brother for a dollar a week. She was hungry for knowledge and self-improvement. Her time was precious to her. She scarcely knew an idle or wasted moment. Well, she founded Mount Holyoke College and became its first president. After her death, a paper was found among her belongings on which she had listed seven ways of wasting time, against which she guarded and against which she preached. Number one, indefinite musing. Number two, anticipating needlessly. Number three, needless speculation. Number four, indulgence and reluctance to begin a duty. Number five, in doubtful cases, not deciding at once. Number six, musing needlessly on what has been said or done or what may be. And number seven, spending time in reverie, which should be spent in prayer. Other people lack decisiveness in their living because they've developed a fear of new problems or new situations or they may fear what other people think. Before they can make up their minds, they think they have to consult and get advice from every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Such a person waits and doubts and hesitates. Then they consult their brother, their uncle, their first cousins, particular friends, until one day he finds that he's 65 years old and he's lost so much time in consulting cousins and friends that he has no time left to follow their advice. Men fail not because they're stupid, but because they're not decisively impassioned. If you're not decisive, you can't possibly command the respect and confidence of your fellow men. David Starr Jordan used to say, The world turns aside to let any man pass who knows where he's going. Such a man inspires confidence. He may make mistakes, he may lead us the wrong way, but there's no man in the world whom we admire more than the person who can make up his mind, who knows what he wants to do and where he wants to go. 
A doctor's ability to make decisions quickly in the face of unexpected emergencies is as important as his technical knowledge. That's what inspires confidence among his patients. You don't give your confidence long to the man who hesitates, who straddles, who can't make up his mind. Without a decisive attitude toward life, effective living is impossible. The hardest work in the world that you do is make a decision. Even when the issues are fairly clear, the most difficult job is making that decision. The worst possible state to be in is the state of indecision, when you don't know, when you're trying to make up your mind, when you're hanging, as it were, on the end of a limb. Even to know that you must face the worst is far better than not knowing what you must face. To stand at the crossroad not knowing which way you should take is life's worst possible moment. What miserable lives many people live because they are constantly living in a state of indecision. They're always on the verge, but they're never quite successful in making up their minds. Is it any wonder that our modern psychiatrists are saying that indecision is one of the principal reasons for the increasing number of nervous breakdowns and mental collapses? That this is true can be readily understood when you realize that the necessity for making decisions was never heavier for the individual than it is today. Never before has the individual had so much to decide. Never have conditions and circumstances changed so rapidly to bring the individual face-to-face with so many new problems. Never were old landmarks so few. Never has the individual had to decide so much without the help of old certainties. The burden of decision and adjustment to new situations is too great for some people. They crack under the strain. From birth to death, life forces you to face one decision and one adjustment after another. How well I remember my first experience away from home attending a young people's conference. There, for the first time, I found myself facing a whole new set of circumstances. At home, I was a center of interest among people I knew. There I was thrust among strange people who rightly were more interested in themselves than they were in me. I was out on my own. I had to make up my mind on a lot of things. I look back upon those weeks as the most difficult I've ever known. What new adjustments and decisions you had to make if you went away to school or college? You had to learn to study in a new way, manage your own time and money, listen to several points of view on the same subject and try to make up your own mind. You look back and remember how bewildering it all was, and you also take courage in the fact that you were able to make up your mind. You were able to decide for yourself in those bewildering days, and you can face anything that life brings you now. Today you find yourself in a world at war, and it's forcing changes and circumstances upon you which you never dreamed you would have to face, and you must adjust yourself to an entirely different world. Decisiveness and character is one of the most indispensable elements in your equipment for life. Though capacity for decision is conditioned by your temperament, decisiveness is largely an attitude toward life, and it can be cultivated. To begin, you can develop a more decisive attitude toward life by reminding yourself that no decision ever stands separate, isolated, or alone. Your decision of today is based on and grows out of the things that you have decided in the past. Your decisions are intermeshed and woven together. 
I said to a college student recently, life will never ask you to make more than three great decisions. All others which you must make will be based upon and grow out of these three. Whom you'll marry, what you make your life work, and how you relate yourself to the universe and God. These three decisions, once made, will determine all subsequent decisions which you will be called upon to make. Then I said to him, The smaller decisions which you have already made will help to determine even unconsciously the person that you marry, the work you choose to do, and your relationship to God and the universe. Life never will call upon you to make any decision, great or small, by itself. All the decisions of the past will help you to make the decisions of today. Every decision will make the succeeding one easier. You'll find that it's usually better to make a wrong decision than to make no decision at all. You learn something even from wrong decisions. You cultivate and develop the attitude of decisiveness. In the second place, you can develop a more decisive attitude by blocking off a great area in your life in which decisions are made in advance. In this area of life, your instantaneous and decisive response is, No! That sort of thing I simply do not do. In another area, this thing is what I must do. Some people block off an area of their lives in which decisions are made in advance. They accept the code or tradition of their family in doing so. I never heard my father use profane language. In consequence, neither do I. My father was a man of his word. He lived up to his obligations. He paid his bills. In consequence, living up to responsibility is not a matter of decision, but of habit. I have accepted the code of my father. Though my parents lived on a farm, working from early morning until late at night, they always found time to dress up nine children and walk them off to church and Sunday school. So church-going in my own family is not a matter of choice, but of habit. You, too, can block off a certain area of your life in which your conduct is determined not by choice, but by habit, where it becomes a matter of second nature. Going to church should be something that you don't have to decide every Sunday morning. It's too great a burden to debate with yourself each week whether or not you're going to get up and go to church. I'm beginning to understand why some people are too tired to go to church. It is an exhausting task to have to weigh the issues, the pros and the cons, balance the reasons for and against going. By the time the debate is settled, either it's too late to go, or the debater has so exhausted himself that he's too tired to go. Some things should become a matter of second nature, determined not by choice, but by habit. Dean Sperry of Harvard has said, I simply can't afford to repeat all the preliminary experience of Thomas Edison or Alexander Graham Bell every time I turn on a light or put in a call. Life is too short. Likewise, I can't afford to go splitting hairs over elementary moral choices all my life. I have to get on with the job of living. For you, this area of certitude may be the truth of the existence of God. When you become convinced that we're all the workmanship of one Maker— that were sent into the world by His order and about His business, then you have a basis on which to evaluate and judge everything else. Such an area of certitude outside yourself puts a certain decisiveness into your living. It places a definitive evaluation upon you. It gives you a certainty as to why you're here and a cosmic conviction about where you're going. The real reason why the burden of decision has been too heavy for many people in this generation 
is that they've not been sure of the existence of God. They've lost this ultimate area of certitude out of their lives. When you become sure of the existence of God, sure that you're the product of His workmanship, that you're sent into the world by His order about His business, then you will be a person of decisive character who can stand on your own feet, look life straight in the eye, and know the meaning of those great words, right and wrong, duty, responsibility, and destiny. H.G. Wells was right when he said, Until a man has found God, he begins at no beginning and works to no end. All things fall into place, and life itself falls into place only with God. The ultimate secret of decisive living is in the certitude that God is. Okay, so there we have our lesson on how to be decisive. You know, as we progress through this book, I find myself wishing that I'd read something like this when I was young and I was just starting out in the world. It's too bad I discovered this so far in after I've made so many mistakes and taken so many wrong turns. But that's life, isn't it? Things happen when they happen. Okay, so about decisiveness. What did you think about Mary Lyon's Seven Time Wasters? She was a very serious, determined young woman, wasn't she? I'd like to revisit number seven, spending time in reverie, which should be spent in prayer. Do you ever do that? Do you spend a lot of time daydreaming? Now, I think daydreaming is great. God gave us imaginations, right? But why did he give us that gift? Probably not so we could waste our time with it. (laughs) That's my suspicion anyway. But I think he gave us that gift to enable us to connect with him. Dreaming up ideas is good too, but not if we get lost in the dream and never act, or that we get lost in the dream and we create our own imaginary worlds rather than engaging in the world that God created. You know, I think I have that tendency. I love to dream dreams, you know, think about alternative worlds and just use my imagination. I'm a creative type. I do love to use my imagination, but as in all things, moderation is important. We can't dream our lives away or drift away from God. At the company that I work for, we have this working principle called have a bias to action, meaning don't let yourself get paralyzed by overthinking everything. Take a step and act, and there are very few things, if any, really, that can't be corrected. So just take a step take an action. Well, I'd like to adapt that just a bit. And I would like my version to read, have a bias to prayer. So pray as your first response to things. Okay, so for as the tips that Miller gives us, there were three of them in this chapter. Number one was develop a decisive attitude by reminding yourself that no decision ever stands separate, isolated, or alone. Everything is interconnected. Number two, block off an area of your life in which decisions are made in advance. I think this is a great suggestion, actually. These are sort of like guiding principles that you can follow regardless of the situation. And number three, find yourself a point of certitude outside of yourself, sort of that North Star. These are those universal truths that hold no matter what. 
So what decisions do you have before you? I hope whatever those decisions are, this latest chapter in our book may be of some help. Well, that does it for Chapter 11. Hey, don't forget to come out and see me on Circa19XX.com and the Picks and Days blog. I would love to see you there. And thanks for tuning in tonight. I hope you'll stop by in a couple of weeks for our next chapter. But in the meantime, have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.